Satan will use all your emotions so he can be victorious. His name is the deceiver. The pastors don't think there's things going on in their congregation. I believe that the devil does exist. Be a disciple and make disciples. And you don't do that by being a pastor spectator. Confronting the devil with the overwhelming, almighty, omnipotent power of the Lord Jesus Christ. His power is absolute. He cannot be stopped. Welcome to Confronting the Devil, Fearless Dialogue. Here's your host, Kevin Collier. Thank you for joining us. Today, our featured guest returning to the program is the Reverend Dr. Alfonso Espinoza. And we mix it up again with Pastor Todd Coconato, who was on our last episode. But before we begin, as always, a prayer from my adorable wife, Kristen. Sunday is Pentecost, so we speak verses 1 and 2 of Holy Spirit, Light Divine, a hymn that is also a prayer. Holy Spirit, Light Divine, shine upon this heart of mine. Chase the shades of night away, turn the darkness into day. Let me see my Savior's face, let me all his beauties trace. Show those glorious truths to me, which are only known to thee. Thank you. Kristen, what did Jesus say about the Holy Ghost? that we should focus on him and his gifts, or that he would point to Jesus. In John fifteen twenty six, Jesus said, But when the Helper comes, whom I shall send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will testify of me. And in John sixteen thirteen and 14, Jesus said, However, when he, the Spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears he will speak, and he will tell you things to come. He will glorify me, for he will take of what is mine and declare it to you. What did Martin Luther say about the Holy Ghost and God's power to protect us from Satan? In Luther's works, Sermons on the Gospel of St. John, chapters 14 through 16, Luther writes, Behold, this leads to a confident and staunch heart that can scorn the devil with all his terror and torment, defy all his might, and say, Sir, if you want to condemn me, you will first have to condemn Christ, my dear Savior, priest, and intercessor with the Father. Death, if you want to devour me, you must begin on top with Christ, my head. Devil and world, if you want to torment and frighten me, you must first pull him down from his throne. In brief, I will fear nothing, even if lightning were to strike this moment and throw everything into confusion. For Christ is mine with his suffering, death, and life the Holy Spirit with his comfort, and the Father himself with all his grace. He sends the Holy Spirit to preach Christ into my heart and to fill it with his consolation. This is the main glory and prerogative of the Holy Spirit. Thank you, Kristen. The Reverend Dr. Alfonso Espinoza presides over St. Paul's Lutheran Church of Irvine, California. He specializes in teaching Christian apologetics and theology and taught for several years as an adjunct professor of theology at Concordia University in Irvine. This is his second visit with us. Thank you, Dr. Espinoza, and welcome back to the program. Really good, Kevin. How are you this morning? Very good, sir. And thank you for lending your expertise to our program. My primary service to the Lord is as a full-time pastor. The research and the study as a Ph.D. is certainly pertinent. Thank you for doing this, Kevin. This ministry is important to us. We have to indeed confront the evil one. Dr. Espinoza, since Satan has dominion over the earth, should Americans stop being concerned about worldly things and instead of looking around, start looking up? Well, anytime there's a preoccupation with evil, you have a problem. We start our days every morning with the ability to either be preoccupied 
preoccupied with that which is good or to be preoccupied with that which is evil. The thing that I think we have to hold on to, especially from the tradition that I represent, Kevin, the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, and certainly other Christians who share our view, is that when Christ rose from the dead and he stood before his disciples to give that great commission in Matthew chapter 18, he said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples. He tells us how, by baptizing and teaching in his name. But the first part is what I want to emphasize to your question. When the Lord says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, Christians have to back up and ask themselves, if Jesus has all authority, how much authority does the devil have? Okay? Right. It's, it's a goose egg. It's zero. So if that's true, then why would one want to live as so as to deny where the authority lies and to try to give the devil authority he doesn't have? Yes, that is what unbelief does. It tries to reinvest in a conquered foe. So the problem is when people talk about the condition of the world, it's not so much that the devil has this authority and power to manipulate. It's that people have turned from the source of true power, which is in Christ. And you mentioned to look up, and indeed, what does Paul state in 2 Corinthians 5, 7? He says, we walk by faith and not by sight. And we have to learn that, that this is a very important aspect of Christian theology, not to be wrapped up in simply what we observe empirically. In fact, God has already told us. This is why good pastors and good Christians understand this. If the presupposition of whether or not God is blessing me or God is on my side is based on what I see and what I observe, then don't hold your breath because you're going to be in for a lot of disappointment. But God has told us in his word, we don't walk by sight. We walk by faith. As a matter of fact, the opposite is often the case. When we observe and we see things that are difficult and challenging and hurtful, it is absolutely amazing what happens when we abide in the faith, how God can take those things and turn them around. I'll give an example right now, Kevin. Certainly the whole political climate on the next president is very heated and very important. And certainly I'm not suggesting that Christians should not be good citizens and be invested in the process and live out their vocation responsibly as voting citizens and to pray for our nation. We're to do all those things. But on the other hand, we have to remember that our Lord says clearly, do not put your trust in men. Do not trust in princes. We don't put our trust in presidents, regardless of who's elected. We put our trust in the Lord. And one of the greatest examples of this, Kevin, of how Christians are living, walking by faith and not by sight, is back in the day when the Israelites, they were taken to Babylon. And that whole scene of being in Babylon, being away from your homeland, being persecuted, right? God raised up the Persians, who conquered the Babylonians, and he raised up King Cyrus. Now, Cyrus wasn't even a believer in Yahweh. He was actually someone who was very superstitious. In fact, his worldview and his philosophy was to be a polytheist. He wanted to believe in all of the gods, so-called, so that all of the gods would smile upon his reign and his efforts to lead. No matter who he worked with or who he encountered, he would be in a favorable position by embracing all gods. So, with this philosophy, he goes along with Yahweh in terms of working with the Israelites and bringing them back to the Promised Land. So even though Cyrus himself is not an actual believer, and even though he had some kind of wacky motivations, God used Cyrus to bless his people. So no matter how much we see the United States of America suffering or going through challenges, continue to trust in the Lord and know that he will work it out for his people. All things work together for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. Dr. Espinoza, where we live in Michigan, in Grand Haven, we had a cross that stood on a hill for 53 years. It was on state land, and when an atheist threatened to sue our city, it had to come down. Folks here were really upset. The result was many people in town began making crosses to place in your yard, and they were giving them away. So one cross goes down, a hundred go up on private land. The sad thing is, 
Some people are still focused on the cross missing from the hill and fail to notice all of the crosses that have resulted from its absence. That's a wonderful analogy, Kevin. You're exactly right. Let's not waste our energy on these isolated matters that really, at the end of the day, nothing can restrict our confession of the faith. Nothing can constrict our being light to the world and salt to the earth. We are called to worship God, to serve, to love, to witness, to pray. We might suffer a public marker being removed, but in comparison to what we still have in our daily walk, we should rejoice. Uh, Dr. Espinosa, talk about atheists. It seems many atheists originate from a hate of God or religion. Now that's recognizing God. These are typically atheists who seek to take down Christian symbols. Can you explain this? Well, you're starting to touch on the multiple positions that atheism can come out of. Of course, atheism properly defined is the belief that there is no God. So therefore, a true atheist, a proper atheist, if you will, is someone who holds a position that God doesn't exist. Now that, strictly speaking, can come in two major forms. There's an intellectual form, and there's an emotional form. The intellectual form is the atheist who claims, in a very calm way, no, I don't have any emotional investment, but I have conducted an intellectual analysis. And based on my intellectual study and analysis, I've come to the conclusion that God does not exist. More often than not, however, Kevin, you have what's called an emotional atheist. An emotional atheist is someone who takes their position that God does not exist from some event that occurred in their life, that because God wasn't there for me or didn't answer my prayer, etc., now I hold an emotional response against God. But in that case, if they claim to be atheists, they'll say the result of the emotional response is that God does not exist. Now, that's different from other positions, like agnosticism. Of course, agnosticism is that position, as I'm sure you well know, that says God may exist or may not exist, but I'm going to straddle that fence, and I will claim that there's not enough information to make the determination. But there are other views as well, where there are some who will say, look, I'm not an atheist or an agnostic. I am someone who actually believes in a position of theism, that God exists, but I choose not to follow a traditional path. So you have this wide, broad spectrum of different positions. But one of the things that I think is important to clarify in this whole discussion, because I can keep going, I can keep breaking it down to theism after theism, and then you can get into polytheism and pantheism and all of that. There's enough isms to make your head spin, right? But at the end of the day, what we have to acknowledge in an intelligent way is that everybody has a theological religious position. Everybody is religious in their own way. Okay, so regardless of what someone says intellectually about their position, they believe in something. And from a Christian worldview, that makes complete sense, because God has created us in such a way as to know that there is reality beyond ourselves. Furthermore, everyone lives for something. A person who says that they're not religious doesn't understand the contradiction coming out of their mouth. Anybody who lives for something is living in a religious way. Everybody loves something. Everybody puts something before them that propels them in their life. And our interest is, what is that thing that's propelling? So we have to understand that as we're talking to people and dealing with people with the various views, that first of all, God created them, and God loved them so much. And this is the humbling part, Kevin. I have to remind myself that whomever I'm talking to, whether they identify themselves as a Satanist or an atheist or an agnostic or a whatever, that God loved this person in front of me as much as he loved me in sending his only son to live and die and rise for this person. So this person becomes hopefully
especially in my eyes, someone who is loved by God that should motivate me to serve them. This is easy to say, Kevin. It's not so easy to do, especially when you see certain individuals who are attacking the church. Can you address how some on the left have branded Christians as haters and extremists? Glad you asked me about the topic of dispensationalism, some of the work of Tim LaHaye. I sincerely believe that Tim LaHaye loves the Lord Jesus Christ and believes that what he's doing is to the glory of the Lord Jesus. However, I'm very concerned about his work because one of the things that it does is it perpetuates an us-and-them mentality. And he has a way of continually demonizing his opponent. If we do that in such a way as to keep separating the lines, using the lines of separation, we create further hostility. And the message to unbelievers, what they can pick up on is that Christians hate us. Christians don't like us very much. And one of the amazing things that we have to get back to is the testimony of our Lord Jesus Christ. When you study the Gospels, the Lord is going out of his way left and right. He goes to the tax collector. He goes to the prostitute. He goes to the denier of truth. He goes to the skeptic. He goes to the Roman centurion. He goes to all of these people. And what does he do? He loves them all unconditionally. So this, we pray, would be the witness of the Christian church in this world, which tempts us left and right to be isolationists. It's hard stuff, Kevin, believe me, I know, but it's something we have to keep striving for. Dr. Espinoza, Christians are often defined by what we are against instead of what we are for. Can you address this? Yeah, that's right. That's exactly right. Yeah. You know, I'm really glad you said that, because with that problem that you just stated, we are tempted, therefore, to start our discussions with people about issues. You know, what's your position on A? What's your position on B? What's your position on abortion, homosexuality, euthanasia, et cetera, et cetera? And whenever you start the conversation with that, you instantaneously politicize the discussion. Now you have to take a position. What have you done? You've already drawn up a wall of separation. Instead, we need to use the approach of say, look, this person in front of me has a fundamental identity as someone created by God, loved by God, someone who is important to God. And therefore, I want to get to know you as a person. And I want to demonstrate that I care as a person, regardless of your background. And if we can start with that, now we're in a position for relationship. And of course, the most important thing to share Christ. Because politics, look, I'm not saying it isn't important. It's a left-hand kingdom that God has established. Of course, it's important. But it's not the basis for relationship. It's certainly not the basis for witnessing to people. How can weak Christians outgrow fear? Well, that's exactly right. There's a profundity in growing in the faith. We have to recognize that growth is something that happens on a, a scale of maturing. The scriptures talk about maturing in the faith. So we need to be patient with one another. We're all on our unique walks with the Lord and maturing at our own pace. However, there are things that we aspire to in that maturation process, things that we aspire to. And one of the things that we aspire to is we aspire to be able to say with St. Paul in Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of Man, in the Son of God, in the Son of God who loved me and gave his life for me. Now, what's happening in this sort of perspective is that there's this realization that comes. When I get to know God, who is life eternal, I now have life that goes beyond anything here in this world, in this life, okay? And if you're following me, I don't want to make this sound complicated, because it's not complicated. 
But what I'm saying here is that when we get to that point, Kevin, we understand that there's nothing in this world that Jesus has promised in John 10:28 that can take us out of his hands. If we believe that he is our life, then there's nothing in this world that can threaten our life. Dr. Espinoza, explain how Holy Communion is a comfort in times of fear. Uh, yes, the Holy Communion or the Holy Sacrament. Our Lord says in John 16:33 that in this world you will have much tribulation, but take heart for I have overcome the world. There are so many Christians, there are so many unfortunate and foolish views about the faith. If I'm a Christian, that means all the junk in life isn't going to happen to me or touch me. But somehow I'm impervious to having problems and heartache. That's a bunch of bunk. That's the stuff the devil wants us to believe. Our Lord is very clear. He was honest. He was real. He was truthful. He said, speaking to his people, in this world you will have much tribulation. So it gives us a heads up. It's kind of like a young man going into the military. He knows what to expect. They're going to work him over in basic training, right? It's not a surprise. He knows what's coming. The same is true with a Christian warrior. They know what's coming. There's no surprises, right? Mm -hmm. Okay. So having said that, does our Lord just hang us out to dry? No. What he does is he gives us this gift of the Holy Sacrament, Holy Communion, so that his presence is always with us. So we are constantly fed and nourished in his care, in his mercy, in his presence. So if any system jettisons that or takes that away, they're automatically depriving themselves of God's intended comfort that comes from that gift. It's kind of like saying, again, I want to give the illustration of the military. So once you get out, they're going to say, you see this M16? This M16 is your mom, your dad, your uncle, your aunt. It's going to keep you alive. But the soldier foolishly then puts it down on the ground in the middle of the night and walks away from it. So in the same way, if God comes and says, here's a gift and a resource, and we put it down and we walk away from it, then his fault is that. And that's what a lot of so-called Christians do. They ignore the resources that God has given to them. And that's why many are succumbing to fear. Now, having said that, we can be completely faithful in the resources. It doesn't mean that we're not going to struggle with fear. Of course we are. We have something called a sinful nature that hangs around, right? But if we have the resources, we have that way of coping with it and going forth with God's help. Many Christians surrender to the enemy. They just put down their arms. Exactly. I have one final question, then I'll let you get back to your family. You have many children. I have eight children. Wow, that's a busy home. In closing, can you provide some words of comfort and encouragement for fearful believers? Yeah, absolutely. Some of the tips that I would give is that our Lord gave his disciples and said, Have no fear, little flock, for your Father is pleased to give you the kingdom. And we need to understand that the basis for his admonition for us not to have fear is the confession, the trust, the faith, to know that we have the kingdom. Now, just saying that by itself might seem a little ethereal or abstract. Okay, what does it mean to have the kingdom? Once upon a time, one of my old teachers made it very, very clear. He said this. He said, look, when you have the king, you have the kingdom. When we want to counter fear, we want to hold on to the king. When I was a little boy, I was about eight years old. There's a neighborhood bully who came by to harass me and my friends. He was about 12 years old. We were about eight and nine. He was very big and strong, and he was picking on us. He was making us fearful. He was a really mean guy. And all at once I said to him, I better leave us alone or I'm going to call my big brother. And he started laughing. He said, sure. Yeah, right. You have a big brother. Yeah. Ha, ha, ha. I said, I'm warning you, I will. He kept harassing us and we were still being pushed around. <laughs> Finally, I followed through and I started to cry out for my big brother. I knew he was on the other side of the house. And sure enough, here comes my brother. He was 16 years old, eight years my senior football player, came walking down the driveway and the bully saw him. When my brother came, the bully ran away. 
illustration, of course, of holding onto our king. He's our protector. Now, there are many things that cause us to suffer in life, but our king of kings and lord of lords is holding us. I've gotten to the point where I know that all of my days are in his hands. And now that I understand that, life is very fleeting. Described in the Bible as a mist. I get to minister to a lot of people, and I minister to old people in their 80s and 90s or 100 years old. They all tell me that. Life flies by. It was like yesterday when they were on a bike. So life is a mist. And I know that my days are short. I know I'm going to die very soon. But you know what? It doesn't matter. Why doesn't it matter? It's because I have the king. He says, never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. There have been a lot of movies that have come out recently on the big screen testifying to this, that God is with us. So this is what I would encourage your listeners to remember, that as they deal with fear, hold on to the King of Kings. One of the things I recommend is, as a reminder, is that people hold on to a cross, put it in their hands, hold it during the day, hold it at night. It's a reminder that the King is with them. Because if you have him, you're always going to have the one who chases away the evil one. God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in time of trouble. That's how Psalm 46 begins. So with that, dear brother, may we always hold to the King and uh, know we're in good hands. I want to thank you again, Dr. Espinoza, for coming on the program. Can I tap on your shoulder again? Of course, anytime. And the Lord bless your ministry. Always a pleasure speaking with you, sir. Well, likewise. The Reverend Dr. Alfonso Espinoza, a true warrior of Jesus Christ, our Lord. And now it's time to mix things up a bit. Pastor Todd Coconato is a pastor with the Leaves of Healing Tabernacle in Chatsworth, California. He also is the host of a popular syndicated radio program, Hollywood Alive. He returns to our program. We're going to pick up where we left off last time. Pastor Todd, welcome back to the program. Thank you. When we last spoke, we were talking about Christianity and government. Concerning our President of the United States... Where has he gone wrong in his administration as far as being an example of Christian principles? (laughs) Well, President Obama was a Christian, like he claimed. You can go online and watch where he speaks about the Bible. He has spoken out against the Bible, against Christian theology, obviously in his treatment with Israel. I don't think we've ever seen a more hostile administration towards Israel and the policies that he's basically partnered with Iran. We've basically flipped all of our alliances. National countries, they're so confused about who America even stands with at this point. Just went to Great Britain and tried to conduct his own policy critique over there. They're furious with him. I mean, it just goes on and on and on. I mean, Israel is meeting with Putin. They're furthering that relationship because they don't even think that they can rely on the United States anymore. Saudi Arabia is aligning with China. And I mean, we're seeing a rapid change in the world quickly. The Obama administration is one of the most dangerous administrations in the history of our country. And we haven't even begun to see the full effects of what they've done. Pastor Todd, concerning separation of church and state and its original intent, are our founding fathers spinning in their graves? <laughs> well, that's the thing, is that they try to rewrite history. Susan came out with a great movie a few years ago, and I highly recommend you look at it, but I think it was called America. But, you know, the thing is, is that they've rewritten the history book, teaching the young people in school a different story than even what I learned as a child. I mean, it's very easy to manipulate if you start young, and that's what they're doing. And so they have patience. They're teaching the young generation. I mean, we see with this great you know, following that Bernie Sanders has. I mean, this guy's a socialist. He's a communist. I mean, he went to Russia on his honeymoon. The fact that this man would actually have the popularity that he does in America just shows you the state of where we're at right now, where we're actually wanting this. We're wanting to be like, look what happened to Cuba. The place of disaster. They got cars from the 50s and 60s. Their, their government is in shambles. And yet our young people think this is the way that we need to go. And so to 
re-education, it's a programming and it's starting at a young age. Yes, I think our founding fathers would be disgusted. And they've actually given us clauses and things in our laws and government that we can do to prevent these things. And that's why we need to rise up now, because there are ways. I and mean, even with the next president, see, with the popularity of Donald Trump, I mean, this is a populist. This is a movement. Whether you like them or not, it shows you that people are sick of the Democrats. They're sick of the Republican establishment because, you know, they promise a lot of things. And the same old, same old. It's almost like one party. It's just amazing to me how the establishment Republicans are coming against the leading Republican candidate. I mean, it's amazing. They're actually citing wanting Hillary in. I mean, it's nuts what's going on. And so I think that it's just really, really crazy times right now for lots that's happening. And I wish more people would awaken and see the bigger picture here. The fact that the president of the United States said this is not a Christian nation. I mean, he, he should know history. You know, he was, was a teacher in a Ivy League school, and so he should know history. Fox News is even doing a deception. When Trump was winning all the states, they were asking him if something he had said had hurt him in those states. Do you need to win by more than 70% to make a point? And when does the conservative party ignore the people and think that they can select a candidate regardless of the votes? Well, I think absolutely yes. And as far as me, as been a lifelong conservative, I would definitely you know, protest the Republican Party. And if they were to usurp the authority of millions and millions of people, I mean, why even hold primaries? I recall saying prayers in school before it was banned. But I never thought I would see college-educated youths spending a fortune on education. And the campuses have become rallies for a communist candidate. Yeah, I mean, it just really goes back to it starts at a young age where there's a narrative that continues all the way through, you know, the teaching, I mean, it's in the curriculums from elementary, junior high, high school, all across our country, unfortunately. And so by the time they get into college age, they're right, because they've already been through the Common Core and all the different propaganda mind control, really. I mean, these are things that literally happened in the Nazi days. I mean, this is what Germany did. It was a slow progression. People don't realize how Hitler rose to power. It was a slow progression that happened through the 30s, and it wasn't just an overnight thing, but the society was prepped, and they were mind-controlled, and you know, all these things are in play right now, and, and unfortunately, people are just unaware, and this is where the Christian community needs to wake up, because there's a spiritual implication here. There's a deep, deep-rooted agenda. I think part of the social problem in this society is the it's all about me attitude. The difference between my generation and the youth of today is I never took pictures of myself. There were no selfies. Hasn't America just become one big selfie? Well, and that's the thing is the celebrity culture has now gone into the young people where everybody can be their own celebrity via social media. So it's not just, you know, when we were younger, we would watch celebrities on television, on some of the talk shows, whatnot, but we didn't have the ability to then go on our phone and have like a mini following of our own. Social media just invites the devil. Agreed? It does. And, you know, I still believe that Facebook, even though Mark Zuckerberg is the founder, I really believe that it's a big CIA operation. Think about it. They can track where we are at any time of day just by looking at where our cell phone is. That's always on our person, 99% of America today. And then, you know, if they want to know what you're doing or what your political beliefs are or what kind of people you hang around, just go on the social media. You can know about a person within five minutes. Pastor Todd, as we wrap things up, is there anything you'd like to say to our listeners? Absolutely. Well, first of all, pray for me, because I definitely need prayer. I'm under serious attack a lot of the time for speaking about a lot of this stuff. And luckily, I have a media platform that's got a significant amount of followers. And so any injustices that are done, at least we can you know, have them covered by the media. And a lot of them will get picked up by bigger media sources. So we appreciate that. 
coverage, and I believe the Lord gives that coverage. But I definitely need prayers of intercessors that are out there that are listening, exposing the devil's plan. We're exposing a lot of things, and I thank you for things that you're doing and doing the same thing and exposing the plans of the enemy and standing up for righteousness. And thank you for caring about Hollywood. Hollywood needs your prayers. And I do see an awakening. I see that there are more people that are starting to be informed. I think there's continuing more and more and more people that are waking up. And I believe that that's the Holy Spirit that's waking up as Roman Church. And I'm thankful for those people. We need to unite. We need to stand with each other. Thank you for being here. Thank you so much for having me on the show today. We will. Pastor Todd Coconato, nice man, crusader for Christ. And now, Kristen with the closing prayer. This is verses 3 through 5 of Holy Spirit, Light Divine. Holy Spirit, power divine, cleanse this guilty heart of mine. In thy mercy pity me, from sin's bondage set me free. Holy Spirit, joy divine, cheer this saddened heart of mine. Yield a sacred, settled peace, let it grow and still increase. Holy Spirit, all divine, dwell within this heart of mine. Cast down every idle throne, reign supreme and reign alone. Amen. Thank you, Kristen. Coming up on our next program, author and screenwriter Brian Gadawa. Here's a preview. We live in an anti-Christian nation now, actually. We see the deterioration, not just in America, but really all over the world. Uh, whether it's Islam or just multiculturalism, they're all united in one thing, anti-Christ, anti-Christ, and anti-Bible. And they want to destroy Christianity. Don't miss it on our next Confronting the Devil. Keep us in your prayers as we keep you in ours. Until next time, remember, do not let fear paralyze your faith. This has been Confronting the Devil with your host, Kevin Collier. Visit online at confrontingthedevil.blogspot.com. Thank you.